calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. They rode in on the storm, beings of light. The thunder, the beating of the stampede. The wind, their whistling song. The Weather Service issued the storm warning at 3.30 p.m. on Friday. At that time, the weather in Billows had been fair and beautiful. Children were playing outside, retirees were gardening. Road crews and tree cutters and roofers were wrapping up their jobs, hoping to head home early to get a jump start on the weekend. The commuters were doing the same, checking their watches and deciding if their bosses would allow them to slip away a bit early. Some of them had actually made it onto the road when the first clouds started nudging the blue sky above. The letter carrier kept up her usual pace, unfazed. When the storm warning went out, the roofers worked hurriedly to beat the rain. The road crews and tree cutters set up orange cones to mark off the treacherous areas they were leaving behind as they packed up and called it a day. Most of the children continued to play, and most of the gardeners continued to garden and the letter carrier trudged along. There was one other person out walking, besides the letter carrier. Terry had felt his phone vibrate with the storm alert, but ignored it. His afternoon walk was crucial to him, as it was increasingly becoming the only way he got out of the house at all. His imagination had taken him away to a beach. He imagined the thunder rumbling above him was the crash of waves. The hiss of rain landing somewhere behind him was the fizzle of the tide on white sand. Terry had not been to the beach since he was a child, and life had been so different then. He was ever grateful for the memories he had made, for the information he had stored, for the images he could recall on command. He hoped those images would be the last things to go when his mind eventually slipped away. 
Terry heard a mother shouting for her children to come inside. Somewhere to his right, someone jammed a trowel into the dirt. Such a distinct sound. Hey, Terry. It was Phil Beckman. You should be heading back the other way about now, don't you think? This storm is looking to be a big one. It don't worry me none, Terry replied. Besides, it's already raining back that way. I'll be getting wet either way I go. It is? Phil asked. How'd you know? Terry flicked his own ear with one finger. Ah, your hearing's gonna end up in the Guinness Book of World Records one of these days. It's something else. It sure is, Phil, Terry agreed, smiling. Tell you what, speaking of Guinness, why don't you come inside and we'll crack open a couple to ride out this storm? What do you say, partner? Just a couple old fellers keeping each other company? Terry considered this. Phil was friendly. He had a big heart. Maybe his heart was so big because God used too much tissue there and didn't leave enough for his brain, but he could be good company if one didn't mind shallow conversation. Thunder growled overhead. Terry had resigned himself to getting wet, but he didn't mind the opportunity to avoid it. Sure, I'll take you up on that, he answered. Might be nice to catch up. And that's what they did. Terry propped his cane in the corner by the front door and found his way to Phil's couch. Phil came in with two bottles of Guinness, which clanked together as he handed one to Terry. Phil pulled the lever on his recliner and laid back as Terry asked what he had been planting in the garden. They talked about peppers and tomatoes and spinach for a while. Then Phil asked Terry if he had seen his grandkids lately, and Terry said no. Only around holidays, he said. Thanksgiving, Christmas, that sort of thing. Suppose I could mosey on down there myself. They're just up the road and over east a couple blocks, but... You know, my son Jack. Whoa, Phil interrupted. Phil's recliner groaned as he pushed the lever down, folding the footrest and bringing the chair upright. He stepped over to the big front window. He stared up through the rain, which had started falling in droves, into the storm clouds. Hey, Terry, he said with a questioning lilt. Something ain't right with this storm. Terry, with a mouthful of Guinness, could only reply, Hmm? Well... The lightning, it ain't like nothing I never seen before. How so? asked Terry, thinking, out with it, man, stop being so vague. Well, it ain't flashing for one thing. It's all steady and constant. And for another thing, it's it's full of shapes. Oh man, I wish you could see this. Me too, Terry said genuinely. He was sure he would have been able to explain whatever phenomena was occurring in the clouds if he could only see. Suddenly, all of the wonder and awe disappeared from Phil's voice. Oh, uh, hey, hey, Terry, I think we might want to go downstairs. Terry listened intently, but it didn't sound like the wind or thunder had picked up. There was a strange sort of whining hum in the distance, but it didn't quite share the same tone as the weather sirens. No need to worry about a tornado. Not yet, anyway. Come on, Phil grabbed Terry's sleeve and pulled at him until he stood. I'll lead the way. Phil held on to Terry and led him to the basement stairs. He said, It's a bit of a mess down here, so stay close to me, and led Terry down the rickety stairs. Terry smelled mildew and wet paper or cardboard. It sounded like the water heater was running. Once they had reached the bottom of the stairs, he heard Phil turn on a light, then run back up the stairs and slam the door shut. You gonna tell me what's going on? Terry asked as Phil led him deeper into the basement. Oh man, you're not gonna believe it. You're really not. It might be the rapture or some kind of alien invasion out there. 
Exactly what did you see? Terry demanded. Those shapes I saw were alive. They had arms and legs and heads, but no faces. Looked like they were made of lightning, and they were flying, Terry, flying under the storm in long rows that went on as far as the eye could see. Terry said, Let me out of this basement, you crazy- No, exclaimed Phil. You can't go up there, Terry. Those things, they all started coming down, coming down from the sky. As if on cue, a door burst open upstairs. Phil grabbed Terry's upper arm hard. Terry couldn't see the basement light flicker, but he heard the bulb chirp. Phil rushed to turn it off, releasing Terry's arm for a second, only to grab hold of it again once they were in the dark. The water heater shut off, its loud purring reduced to a dying hiss. In the absence of other sounds, the men could hear an unusual, pulsating hum with no identifiable focal point. They listened closely for footsteps or other sounds which might indicate an intruder upstairs, but the floors remained still and quiet. Nothing thumped or crashed or shattered above them after the door had opened. Besides the ethereal humming, all was still and dark and silent. The door at the top of the stairs creaked open. The humming became exponentially louder, to the point where Terry nearly covered his ears. Had his ears not been the only organs providing any useful input, he would have. He felt Phil's hand slip from his arm, and for the first time he wished the man was still holding on to him. He flailed his arms outward to find his friend, but Phil no longer stood at his side. He heard a footstep on the stairs, but not at the top coming down. At the bottom, going up. Phil? Terry dared to whisper. At full volume, Phil responded, It's okay, Terry. They're, they're beautiful. I can see their faces now. We need to, we need to go with them. Phil, Terry shouted this time. He tried to take a step toward Phil's voice and the groaning stairs, but stubbed his foot against something heavy. He cursed himself for leaving his cane upstairs. In such a crowded, unfamiliar place, he was blind to the fifth power. He practically had to crawl his way through the disorganized mess of Phil's basement. He knocked over boxes and crates. Something shattered, and he had to slow down even further to avoid cutting himself on glass. Upstairs, the front door slammed shut. Terry called out for Phil, but his friend had gone. Apparently, he had left with the humming thing. Terry could barely hear the now distant humming anymore. Phil's house had gone silent. At last, Terry's outstretched fingers found the edge of the first stair. He made his way up quickly. The door at the top had been left open. On the first floor, Terry could hear a new sound, like an upgraded version of the original hum. This one seemed louder and more harmonious like the tail end of a fading piano chord put on a loop. The sound's origin seemed to be somewhere far away. Terry could also hear rain continuing to patter against the windows. Wind continued to howl by as well, but there was no longer any thunder. Terry found and opened the front door. He stood on Phil's porch, vainly yelling his name. The constant hum had an almost physical presence. It was so dense... Terry could practically feel it with his hands. Its vibrations massaged his guts. Until he had a clearer picture of whatever was going on, he dared not step off the porch. Instead, he went back inside. Call Jack, 
he ordered his phone. He hoped that, assuming his son was alright, he might come pick him up and maybe be able to explain what was going on. Maybe the two of them could go find Phil and bring him back safely. The phone rang until Terry heard Jack's outgoing message recording. He tried again with the same result. A third time and he still got the outgoing message. He and Jack had had an established rule that three calls meant an emergency and you were supposed to pick up the phone no matter what on the third call. Even though he was not on the greatest of terms with his father, something must have been terribly wrong for Jack to ignore three calls in a row. Now, despite the vast unknown beyond Phil's threshold, Terry knew he had to venture out. He had a mission. His love for his son would have been enough to drive him out into the storm on its own, but he thought more about his grandchildren now. What if whatever had come over Phil took over them too? Where would they go? What would happen to them? Terry felt along the wall next to the door until he found his cane, gripped it, and ventured through the door. As rain sprinkled his bald spot, Terry realized the tonal humming was so loud it was hiding the pitter-patter of the rain completely. It filled the entire harmonic spectrum, blocking out any and all sounds and stealing a second of Terry's senses from him. Thankfully, Terry had a sixth sense. We all do. One which is highly underrated despite its undeniable power. Memory. In his mind's eye, which had seen better than his outer eyes for much of his life, he held a map of the neighborhood full of details like where the sidewalk buckled, which intersections stopped traffic in all four directions, where there might be a dog tied up in the front yard, etc. His legs knew approximately how many steps it would take for him to reach his son's house, although this is not a number he could have articulated if asked. In the same way many of us can drive home from work without a thought as to where we are going, Terry could find his way to his family. He relied solely on the vibrations which ran up his cane into his palm as he could not hear the cane tapping the sidewalk over the deafening hum. The wind felt bizarre, unlike any he had felt before. Rather than pushing him from behind, it seemed to be sucking him towards some distant point, and it moved constantly, not ebbing and flowing like usual. If there was any traffic, Terry could not hear it, but he felt confident no one was driving by him. Most folks around Billows knew him by name, and had any of them seen him out in the rain, they would have stopped to offer a ride. Terry felt like the only human being left in the world. Crossing the street was a tense business. One thing Terry could not be sure of, he realized, were the visibility conditions. What if that humming or strange wind had been accompanied by a dense fog or some sort of abnormal darkness? He had no way to know. Were the street lamps on? If someone did happen to drive by right at the moment he stepped into the crosswalk, would they even see the stop signs? The reflective paint? The blind man tapping his way along, fighting to stay upright against the growing wind? Halfway through the crosswalk, Terry's cane bounced back and wobbled. It had struck something which certainly should not have been there. Terry cautiously stepped forward with his other hand outstretched, It found the cold, wet windshield of a small car. Rubbing his hand over the car's surfaces, he found the driver's door left open. He tapped around the car and determined it had been left dead in the middle of the crosswalk. When he called out, no one responded. 
the vehicle had simply been abandoned. Terry exhaled when he felt tactile pavement through his shoes, indicating he had reached the sidewalk and relative safety on the other side. Two blocks east, that's all he had left to go. And the sidewalk, if memory served, was smooth and even the whole way. His legs remembered the number of steps, and Terry found the walkway to his son's front door with ease. His senses gave him no indication as to whether anyone was home. He rang the doorbell, which just barely pierced the muddy humming on a couple of notes. He put his ear and hands to the door to try to detect any movement. He knocked, and still no one inside came to him. He tried the doorknob, and was shocked to find it unlocked. It had never been left unlocked whenever he had stopped by before. Jack, Devin, Max, he called for his son and two grandsons. And to his surprise, to his utter relief and astonishment, a small voice answered. Grandpa Terry? Max, is that you? Terry shouted. It was so hard to hear little Max's voice. He shut the door, but it did little to block out the constant droning. Hang on, I'll find you. I'm... Bedroom, don't, out, was all Terry could make out of Max's reply. It guided him in the right direction, though. He found his way to the back hallway, then to the second door on the left, Max's bedroom. In here, boy, he asked. Is it safe? Max replied, still muffled. He sounded close, though. I've been all right so far, Terry answered. He heard a closet door roll and slide. Then he was almost knocked backward onto Max's bed as small arms wrapped around his waist and a little head full of curly hair pressed against his navel. There, there, kid. I've got you. Those words, I've got you, were words Terry had been desperate to say to Max for the past two years. The boy was seven now, though he hadn't grown much bigger. Stargardt macular degeneration is a genetic condition which causes the eventual loss of vision over time. It had gradually stolen Terry's sight in his early teens. He had known it would inevitably happen, and by the time it did, by the time his vision had completely gone, he was as prepared as he could have been. Max, on the other hand, was a rare case. The first signs of degeneration were detected when he was four, and by the time he turned five, his vision had already gone dark. Jack had irrationally blamed Terry for his son's blindness. When Terry had offered to help, To guide the child through the difficult time, Jack had told Terry he wanted him to stay away. It seemed Jack thought that maybe, somehow, keeping Terry away would help Max get better, as if blindness were contagious. Max's mother, Nancy, had been secretly bringing Terry over to work with Max whenever Jack was at work, but, tragically, she was no longer around. Max had tried crossing the road on his own one day, He had no idea a lifted pickup truck was barreling down the street. Nancy managed to catch up in time to push little Max out of the way, but too late to give herself time to clear the truck's path. The driver didn't even hit the brakes. If there had been a rift between Jack and Terry before this tragedy, there now was a chasm. Jack's irrational blame now umbrellaed both his child's blindness and his wife's death. Where are your dad and brother? Terry asked. He felt Max's head shake against his belly. You don't know? Max pulled away and sniffled. Terry's shirt had already been damp, but Max's tears felt warmer against his skin than the rain. 
Something came in and took him, Max said. It came through the door, and Dad told us to hide, and Devin did hide at first, but then he went out and left me alone. I didn't hear them talk at all, they just, just left. Terry shuddered at the eerie similarities between Max's encounter and his own. He asked, What about Charlie? Charlie, a beautiful German shepherd, was Max's guide dog. Max said, She was in here with me, but then she left with Devin. I think she followed them. Hmm. Maybe she'll come back and help us find them. She shouldn't have left you. What's that sound? Max asked. I don't know, but I want to find out, Terry replied. I have a feeling if we can figure out what's making the sound, we'll find your family. A sudden conflict struck Terry, paralyzing him momentarily. He realized he had come to a fork, and neither way seemed optimal. He could either leave his grandson in the house alone to go find the others, or he could take the boy with him. He could not guarantee the child's safety either way. Unable to make this decision himself, he decided to leave it up to Max. I want to go with you, Max said immediately after Terry laid out the options. Are you sure? We don't have any idea what's out there. And that sound, it's even louder outside. I'll hold your hand, Max said. We'll make sure to stay together. Terry hugged the child tightly, then grabbed his hand. Together, they journeyed to the front door. Without Charlie to guide him, Max had to find his white cane before they could go. Like all kids, he had a habit of forgetting where he put things, even important things. But soon he had found it, and the grandfather-grandson duo were off. The rain had mercifully ended, leaving only that strange sucking wind and the smell of sepulcher to indicate there had been a storm at all. Terry couldn't feel the sun beating down on his bald spot yet, so he assumed there were still dense clouds above as well. At the end of the walkway, Max asked which way they should go. Terry didn't know. He reasoned that he had come from the south and west and hadn't run into anyone, so, theoretically, they should continue moving east. Maybe they would go north once they reached Main Street. He hoped they would come across someone soon, even if it wasn't Jack, Devin, or Phil. If they met someone who could drive, they would be able to cover so much more ground. But as if interpreting his thoughts, Max said, It feels like there's nobody else here. Oh, they're probably all just inside, Terry assured him. Then maybe we should go knock on some doors and get help. I know a lot of our neighbors, Max offered. Terry sighed. Max was right. It did feel like everyone was gone. The simple fact that no one had driven past during the entire ordeal was enough. As a blind man and someone well-known in town, he assumed if anyone had been around, hiding out inside, they would have come out to check on him when they saw him walking in the wind and rain. Sorry, kid. I think you're right, Terry admitted. I don't think there's anybody else. A rumble much like thunder, but too steady and even to be natural, shook the sky above. The sound, Terry realized, could have been a hundred fighter jets breaking the sound barrier at once. They each dropped their canes and put their hands over their ears. Terry nearly collapsed due to the immense pressure that built up in his head. He opened his mouth to scream, which relieved some of the pain, and just as quickly as the noise built up, it faded to silence. Complete silence. Absence of any harmonic humming. And gone, too, was the sucking wind which had been pulling them northeast. They trudged on toward Main Street. 
Neither acknowledged the new silence or the eeriness it had brought with it. The sucking wind had felt unnatural, but its absence made Terry feel listless. He decided he would just keep leading Max along and hope that eventually they would come across some sign or signal as to what to do next. The sign came in the form of a nearby bark. I hear Charlie, Max shouted. So do I, or some dog anyway, Terry said. No, it's definitely Charlie, Max confirmed. I'd know her bark anywhere. I'm sure, kid. Why don't you call out for her and see if she comes? Max started calling for Charlie and her barking intensified, but did not come any closer. Terry led Max toward it, wondering if poor Charlie had gotten stuck on something. They were headed toward the plaza, a paved area beside Main Street where a small farmer's market went up on Saturday mornings. As they neared the plaza, Terry started hearing the fountain which stood in the center of the intersection of Main Street and First. The tinkling water was the first man-made sound he had heard since leaving Phil's house. Where the hell was Phil? Charlie's barking drew them all the way past the fountain, past the first block of shops, and to the plaza. Charlie, it's me, girl, Max called. She sounded close, but still wouldn't or couldn't come to him. Hello? A small robotic voice came from their right. Who's there? Terry demanded. He waved his cane in a circle around himself and over Max's head. This is Marianne, the voice said after a brief pause. Then, I did not mean to scare you. Jeez, Marianne, you just about gave me a heart attack. But it's good to find someone else around here. Max, Marianne is the letter carrier who brings your mail every day. Hi, Max the robotic voice said. Um, hi, Max replied. Then he whispered to Terry, Why does she sound like that? A much more human-sounding chuckle preceded another electronic message. I am deaf. This device is how I speak to people who don't know signs. Another pause, then, Or who are unable to see. How can you hear us? Max asked. Marianne smiled, although no one else saw. She said, I have a hearing aid that lets me hear just enough to read your lips. Terry took a step forward and nearly fell face first on the pavement. Something had gotten tangled around his feet so that he had to shake his leg to get it off. Careful, Marianne said through her device. There are clothes everywhere. What are clothes doing laying in the middle of the sidewalk? Max, watch your step, Terry said. Feeling around with his cane, he found many more soft items strewn across the sidewalk. His cane thunked against an empty shoe, jingled a belt buckle, then tapped against something that cracked. This he stooped to pick up. It was someone's phone. Charlie! Max cried. Charlie's responding barks came accompanied by a punctuated metallic scraping noise. There is a German shepherd stuck to a bike by the building, Marianne said. Max left Terry's side before he could say a word. He found the bike and dog. Good girl. It's okay. I'm here. Terry smiled, despite the rest of the uneasy situation. A boy reunited with his dog is one of the purest things the world has to offer. He felt the presence of other animals nearby, too. He could hear their soft pads darting about. Another dog was sniffing up ahead. A cat mewed somewhere behind. I hear animals, Terry said to Marianne, but no people. Have you found anybody else? Only you, Marianne replied. The rest followed the angels. 
The what? Terry waited while Marianne typed for a long time. They were made of light and electricity. They flew in with the storm and came down and led everyone here. Everyone was in a trance. I followed them, but I was not affected by them. I wonder why, Terry said. Marianne replied, Could you hear them? Terry said, Yeah, they were deafening. They made this weird sound like a bad choir or something. I could feel the vibration, Marianne said. She typed for a minute, then her device said, I could see, but not hear. You could hear, but not see. Those who could see and hear were unable to resist following. I am not surprised. They were beautiful. Lucky us, huh? Where'd they go? Terry asked. Marianne typed, then paused, then typed again. Finally, she said, They disappeared into the light. Terry still held the broken phone, and it gave him an idea. He pulled out his own phone, raised it to his lips, and said, Call Jack. A moment later, his phone was ringing quietly. Somewhere to his right, the chorus to Radiohead's Karma Police started to play. Hey, that's Dad's phone, Max exclaimed. Terry swallowed hard. He let the ringtone play out, then heard Jack's voice come through his phone. Hi, sorry I can't pick up right now. Leave me a... Terry ended the call and tried Phil's phone. A generic marimba ringtone started to play right next to Max. Terry heard the boy feeling around until he picked something up. The ringtone grew a little clearer. Who does this one belong to? Max asked. It was in these pants. Terry ended the call early. He asked, Did Devin have a phone? Max said he did and gave Terry the number from memory. Terry called it. They're all gone, Marianne said. A song he didn't know played right behind Terry. He stooped to pick up the phone. There was a shirt laying on top of it that smelled just like Jack's house. He tossed it aside. Like Phil's, Devin's phone was in the pocket of the jeans he had left behind, along with his underwear, socks, and shoes. It was like everyone had evaporated out of their clothes. Phil had used the word aliens. Marianne had called them angels. Whatever had rode in on that storm, had they taken everybody in billows? He could hear Max cooing in Charlie's ear. Max, apparently the only other survivor besides he and Marianne. No, not survivors. Terry refused to think that way. Not yet. Max, help me find some keys, he said. He and his grandson searched pants and jackets and purses. Marianne joined them until they had a large collection of car keys. Terry said, start pushing buttons on the remotes. They pushed every button their fingers could find until finally a truck nearby beeped back at them. Did you see which one that was? Terry asked Marianne. Marianne took Terry's hand in one of her own and Max's in the other. She led them toward the truck that honked. Marianne climbed into the driver's seat. Terry opened the rear door for Charlie to get into the back of the cab, then boosted Max up next to the dog. Terry then climbed into the passenger seat and shut and locked the door. It felt good to be in an enclosed space again. Terry handed the keys to Marianne, who put them in the ignition and turned it over. Neither could drive, but they hoped at least to learn about what had happened. Terry found the radio, turned it on, and started shifting through channels. Finally, a voice on an AM band said the name Billows 
and Terry stopped searching. Abnormal direction, independent of winds. Our Doppler radar is having some trouble detecting this particular storm for reasons we are unsure of. We're relying mostly on eyewitness reports, which have invariably included descriptions of odd lightning patterns. Unfortunately, we keep losing contact with those on the ground, so we don't have much else to report on. All we know for certain is this system is traveling northeast. If you are located northeast of Billows, you may want to seek shelter. If you have any information to offer, please call... Terry dialed the number as the newscaster read it off. I can't hear the radio. What's happening? Marianne asked. Terry didn't have time to answer. His phone only had time to ring once before a woman answered urgently. I see your numbers from the Billows area. Are you there? Do you have contact with anyone else? Yes, and only two others, my grandson and the letter carrier, Terry said. He heard the woman turn away from her phone and yell, I've got a Billows survivor on the line. Survivor. There was that word again. It was troubling to hear someone else say it out loud. There were muffled voices, then the woman came back saying, Stay on the line, please. More muffled sounds, then a more commanding woman picked up the phone. Sir, I need to know everything you can tell me about that storm. Did you see the lightning? No, ma'am, I didn't. I'm blind, but... Oh, great, blind. The woman clearly did not have time for manners. What about your grandson? Did he... Also blind, said Terry. The woman swore. He thought she was going to hang up, but then she came back, sounding far less sure of herself. So, you're both blind, she asked. Terry confirmed this. So neither of you saw... Is there anyone else there? Have you spoken to or found any other survivors? Yes, there's a woman named Marianne with us who saw them. She says everyone vanished in a bright light, left their clothes and phones and animals behind too. Okay, the commanding woman said. Okay, listen, the National Guard is en route. I'll send a unit to you straight away. Billows is the third town that's been hit by this storm, or whatever it is, but you're the first survivors we've located. Terry started to say, the third, sir, I'm sorry, but that's all I can tell you now. Terry could tell she was about to hang up. Wait, he said. The woman with us is almost 100% deaf. Those things... They lured everyone but us to the middle of town. You gotta tell folks to cover their eyes and ears if they come back. I don't know if that'll help, but... Thank you, sir. That's actually very... The woman cut herself off to yell away from the phone. Call ahead to the next string of towns and tell them to put on blindfolds or sleeping masks or duct tape around their heads for all I care. Listen, she said, speaking to Terry again. The storm's dissipating for now. Maybe they'll be back. Maybe not. Either way, like I said, the guard is en route to you. Thanks, Terry said, but she had already hung up. Grandpa? Max said. He had been able to hear everything. Is this the end of the world? I don't... Terry trailed off. A tear formed in one eye, then rolled down his cheek unhindered. He couldn't lie. He wanted to, but he couldn't. I don't know, Max. I don't know. But it might be. Terry, Max, and Marianne remain under close observation, voluntarily, of course. The military has torn the three towns invaded by the alien angels apart, but haven't found any clues as to what attacked and why. They also have no leads to explain what happened to the 5,037 people who vanished that day. There has not been another incident since. Not yet.
You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.